Oh, and uh, don't forget extra bacon, please. That's healthy. <laughs> I love brunch. So, I'm dying to know what you thought about the service today. Well, to be perfectly honest, I was kind of freaked out. <laughs> oh, really? How? Well, for starters, the band was crazy loud. I mean, don't get me wrong, I did like it, but uh, from what I remember in church, I mean, it was all uh, Dominus Sanctus Amen. <laughs> That was a rock show. <laughs> it's called worship. Well, the last time I was at Mass was 15 years ago, and I don't remember anything like that. That's because it's not Mass. It's a worship service. And what, that's the other point. I mean, where was the, uh, the thing? What thing? Well, not the Mass. Uh, the Eucharist. Oh, communion, you mean? Oh, we yeah. don't do that every week. Remember I told you? Isn't that the whole point? I mean, you get the wafer and uh, your sins are magically sprinkled away. <laughs> right. Well, I've just learned to talk to God about that myself, I guess. So he talks to you? Well, yeah. <laughs> What's he say? It's not like I hear voices. I read the Bible on my own now, and it's helped me to learn about God's heart and his mind. And it sounds kind of weird, <laughs> I know, but it's just helped me in life. Well, how so? Well, it definitely helped with my parents' divorce. I was so mad at my dad after that happened, but reading the Bible really taught me about forgiving him. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, you know, I've learned how to have patience and deal with people like you. <laughs> not by that. <laughs> Listen, you know, Dan, I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I don't want you to think that. I just know that for myself, it's really helped me a lot. Hmm. Like, when I pray in the morning. Oh, you go to church in the morning, too? No, not at church, just when I wake up before work, sometimes I pray. What do you pray about? All sorts of stuff. Well, does God actually give you what you want? No, <laughs> not always. Um, it definitely does change my perspective on things, though. When you just feel forgiven and you know that God accepts you as you are and, and loves you for that, I don't know how to explain it, but it just changes you. It can't be that easy, though. I mean, yeah, how do you know if you're good enough? Good enough for what? Well, for God to like you or forgive you or save you or whatever you call it. I don't have to do anything. You don't do anything to get saved. It's just about trusting Jesus with my heart. Oh, but I remember you had to do something. I mean, th there were like seven things you had to do. You had to get baptized. You had to go to Mass. You had to go to confession. <laughs> I forget the rest. I know. But... I grew up Catholic. Well, even then, though, it wasn't enough. I mean, even then you can go to purgatory. Right, but, you know, that's the difference. I know that I'm going to heaven. Well, well, Mags, you always were the confident one. It's not, it's not because I'm good enough now or anything. Well, Mags, you do have to give yourself credit. You don't eat bacon. It's not about anything that I've done. It's about what Christ did for me. <laughs> well, do me a favor. Please pray for my bacon when it gets here. It's sinfully delicious. <laughs> Well, if salvation comes from avoiding bacon, I am definitely condemned. Uh, hey, I want to welcome you to Catholic Questions. I'm Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm not sure how you would answer that question. You know, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven? But let me get at it by telling you something that happened to my wife, Colleen, and I. Uh, when we were on vacation a couple of years ago, uh, a friend had loaned us his timeshare completely free. We appreciated it. Uh, it was a resort. You know, we had this beautiful view of the ocean. included, you know, free breakfast every morning kind of thing. And it was this time in our life when we were crazy busy, and so we were extra you know, grateful, this free vacation, real gift to us, and one morning we wake up, get a phone call, hello, Mr. Lucas, it's the manager of the resort, we have a free gift for you, just come downstairs after your breakfast, and we want to give you vouchers for dinner, we want to give you tickets for a show, and on top of it all, how you can enjoy three free extra nights at the resort. 
And I was like, man, this place is generous. And we were young and naive at the time. So we went downstairs like, oh, follow us. And we went in this room with these other couples who all had these excited looks on their faces. And you know what happened next. The guy welcomes us. He starts telling us uh, you know, about the resort. I see some of you nodding. And then he begins his sales pitch. He told us how if we just invested only $100,000, we could have a unit to right there on the beach. And we're sitting here like, wait, what is it? 45 minutes later, I'm annoyed, like we're missing the whole day at the beach. I'm like, where's the free gift? So I get up, I go to one of his helpers in the back, and I'm like, um, I- I'm sorry, I must have this wrong. We came because we were told uh, we'd get free vouchers, these tickets for a show, and something about three free nights. And the guy just sits there and just goes, yeah, right. Man, ain't nothing free in this world. You've got to earn it, buddy. Sit down. And I was like, are you serious? He goes, this thing is two hours long, and you've got to sit through the whole thing if you want your free gift. And I kind of slunk back to my seat. I grabbed Colleen's hands like, let's go. And we kind of stormed out and everything. And he's like, hey, don't you want your free gift? And uh, I want to holler something very unchristian back. But as a pastor, you can't do that. It was one of those moments in life that reminds you that, like, let's be real. There is nothing completely free in this world. I mean, without strings attached. My wife and I were pretty naive. We learned that the hard way. And as the guy put it bluntly, like, hey, ain't nothing free. You got to earn it. And that's a basic principle of life in this world. There are no truly like free rides, no matter how good the offer seems. You're going to have to add something of your own to the equation. That's a basic principle every one of us learns growing up from early on. From childhood, we learn to earn. If you're a kid in school, you're like, you know, you come home, well, what grade did you earn? You graduate college, people are like, oh, what did you earn a degree in? You have a first job, really? Oh, how much are you going to earn? It's natural that we equate any reward with what we receive in life with some degree of effort. They're inextricably linked in the real world. Now, the reality is this. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you are Christian, you are Jewish, you're agnostic, you're Catholic, you're Protestant, it doesn't matter. Because you're human, we bring the same assumption right into the realm of spiritual faith. I mean, if there are no free rides in life and you've got to earn your way, why would it be any different with God? Today, in our second week of Catholic Questions, I want to talk about this tension that exists between faith and works, kind of what God does and what we do, and what does it really take to be made right with God, to like earn his approval? Because um, you've probably all heard, if you walk down New York City, I was walking down Times Square, someone handed me a, a, a tract, and they said, did you know salvation is a free gift? And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, come follow me, you know, $5 for the tract. It's hard to believe, honestly, and most of us assume it's got to require something on our part. If you went outside today and you said, you know, um, ask anyone on the street, they said, how, how do, you, do you think you'll go to heaven? Most people, of course, say, oh, uh, yeah, of course, uh, or I hope so. And if they said, well, how do you know? You might answer, you might say, well, um, you know, I try to be a good person. Uh, you know, I obey, I'm here, look at me, I'm in church right now today. I obey the Ten Commandments, I love my neighbor, uh, I go to church, I go to Mass if you're Catholic. And inevitably, most folks assume that their good deeds, or some of their effort at least, at least some part of that equation, God measures when he's deciding whether to admit us into heaven. And most of us, if we're honest, kind of hope he grades on the curve. (laughs) Uh, And when all is said and done, hopefully the good things we've done will be enough to outweigh our bad. Last week, we learned that the first century Jews had their own version of faith, I'll call it faith plus, the faith plus plan is faith plus works, stuff that God does, and then stuff I do for God. Faith plus works. And, and if you ask a first century Jew, what does it take to be made right with God? He'd say, oh, that's easy. That's why God gave us the Torah, the, the Jewish Bible. He gave us 10 commandments. We go by that. And added onto that was a layer of, do you remember this? Tradition. 
all sorts of religious rules and rituals that the leaders had added, man-made rules, on top of Scripture. Remember this? And the logic was very simple. Hey, if I can please God by keeping Ten Commandments, how much more if I do 100, 200, 300? And eventually the Pharisees had a list of over 500 things you had to do if you wanted to keep God happy. But then comes Jesus and he says, no, 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 no. Tradition isn't even enough. Ten plus 500, it doesn't matter. Because even if you miss keeping one teeny tiny aspect of the law, you're guilty of breaking the entire thing. You need, you need something far better, something bigger than you to make up for all the ways you fall short. Even on the inside, the, part, the broken parts of your life, no one can see. And he said, I am that perfect Savior. And on the cross, God made a trade, incredible trade. Christ took all of our sin on himself and gave his righteousness, his perfect life to us. And when Jesus died on that cross, God literally, justice, he poured out his wrath, all his punishment, do us on his son out of love for us. Spilled his blood to cover our sins so that we can get made right with God. And Christianity was born. A brand new faith. Not based on works, but based on faith alone. Faith plus what? Faith plus, I'm going to use my red marker. Zero. Nada. Sola fide. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Remember this? A flashpoint of the Reformation. Martin Luther read, For it's by grace you've been saved through what? Through faith and this isn't from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works. It's not about what you do, because you'll get proud. No one can boast about this. Faith is a free gift. It's the only thing in the world without strings. You can't earn it by doing good stuff. You can only receive a gift. And this was this paradigm shift for people. They're like, is this really true? Could it be? We're saved by faith alone. What we humbly believe in our heart, not what we proudly do with our hands and moral effort. What great news. And that's when it was starting to be called the gospel or good news because people who were burned out on man-made religion, they were like, breathe the air. This is liberating. Protestants called this startling truth sola fide. We are saved by faith alone. However, as the Christian faith grew over the centuries, the Roman Catholic Church, as we talked about, began adding their own traditions as we saw last week. Because honestly, you're like, you know, you look at this and you're like, can this really be this easy? I mean, it seems like a very, very simplistic equation. Faith plus nothing. I mean, there are other parts of the Bible that seem to almost contradict it, right? Like if you read the epistle of James, it says, faith without deeds is dead. What about that? And Protestants were like, no, 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 it's by, by faith alone, Ephesians 2. And Catholics were kind of like, yeah, but you've got to read the rest of the verse, because Ephesians 2.10 says this, We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Clearly, good works are some part of this equation. I mean, yes, you receive the gift, but you've got to respond and do something about it. And that's kind of the church I grew up in. As I told you, I grew up a Protestant. I, I, uh, I married a Catholic girl uh, who had, had become at that time a, a born-again Christian. And uh, even just visiting Catholic church this past week was just amazing. It took me right back to my Protestant church. It was, it was pretty much all about keeping your nose clean, hopefully keeping your sin in a little box over here so no one saw your brokenness and you could all, you know, wear your tie to church and look good. And I got it all together. Yippity-doo-dah. And that's how I grew up. It literally, it doesn't, it's not a Protestant Catholic thing. But over the centuries, the Catholic church said, you know what these works are, are really all about? And they came up with a list of seven things called sacraments, seven sacred practices that every Christian should do 
to contribute, at least confirm that they're saved. Who's heard of the sacraments? You've heard of that? Dan tried to, 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 to list those in our opening video. Those seven sacraments, they're, they're basically, you get the word sacrament from sacred moment or a sacred practice. These are, these are points to what Catholics must do in order to be saved. And the first one, you've probably, you may have been to an infant baptism, for instance. That is the first sacrament um, received. It cleanses all sin. It makes an infant a member of the Roman Catholic Church. If you've been to an infant baptism, a Catholic tradition is to name the child after uh, one of the saints. It's followed by confirmation. That's the second sacrament. My wife was confirmed when she was 12 years old. And confirmation grants, like it's kind of thought to give special strength from the Holy Spirit. You'll be able to resist sin and you're going to be able to defend the Catholic faith. The third sacrament of initiation or getting into the church is the one most people are familiar with. It's called the Eucharist or the Mass, what we know as communion. And that's central to really what it means to be Catholic. Faithful Catholics are encouraged to receive Holy Communion on a daily basis. It's this ritual reenactment of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, in which under the authority of the priest, that bread and wine is transformed into the body and the blood of Christ. And this is the centerpiece sacrament of the Catholic faith. Colleen made her first uh, Holy Communion at the age of seven. And what I wanted to do tonight is just, to, again, to bring a little balance here and, and, and want to be fair and represent this uh, accurately, I wanted you to hear from a Catholic priest. And so you're going to be hearing from Father John Ricardo. He is actually from St. Anastasia, Roman Catholic Church. It's just north of Detroit. It's phenomenal. He did a fascinating interview with a Protestant pastor from a nearby evangelical church. And I think he just brings some great nuance and humanity to our understanding of what Catholics truly believe. Here's what he said about the Eucharist and the sacraments. You know, for us, as we're thinking about, as Catholics, when I'm thinking about the Mass, um, the Mass is, we would say, fundamentally a revelation of love. So it's this pendulum swinging back and forth between God and us. God speaks, we hear, and we respond. But love, and your married man, isn't content with giving information. I don't want to just tell you that I love you. When a man and a woman love each other, when two people love each other, they give each other things. You know, I send you notes, I write you a card, send you flowers, bought you candy on Valentine's Day. And a husband and a wife give themselves to each other in the act of marriage, whereby two become one flesh. In the, in the Catholic Church, the mystics and the saints for centuries, almost from the beginning, have seen that that's the best image to help you understand what's going on in the Eucharist. That God loves us so much, He doesn't just tell that to me. He's not content to give me information. He wants to give me Himself tangibly. Under this sacramental sign, so this, again, the sacraments are His work, not mine, whereby He... So you're not taking credit those, there's no credit to be taken for the sacraments. No, the, the sacraments, we would... They're grace. We, sacraments are pure grace. They all flow from the efficacy of the cross. Yeah. They, they, we would say they have the power of Christ's death and resurrection in them. Because the question becomes, how do you and I get access to the cross? How does one actually get into contact with Christ's event on the cross? And the Catholic Church would say there's two ways. Faith and the sacraments. There are two ways, faith plus the sacraments. 
And, and that's really where that tradition began out of. Baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist. Those are the first three sacraments of initiation. The next two are sacraments of the state of life. For instance, like marriage. That's basically where they prepare a couple. Maybe you've heard of pre-Cana. So a couple who's getting married goes to the sacrament of marriage. And holy orders. That's when the priest receives authority to preside over the mass and absolve sins through confession. And it leads to the final two sacraments of healing. The first one's called reconciliation. You've probably heard of confession. Catholics are required to confess their sins to a priest who is given by, it was, it was thought he, who is given the authority by God to grant absolution or forgiveness. Now, depending on your sin, that priest may require you to say, you know, three Our Fathers and four Hail Marys or do a good work to make up for your sin. And the, the final sacrament is called the anointing of the sick. And that's really sometimes known as last rites. You've probably heard of that. Typically performed someone who's like seriously ill. And basically it's, they go, they, they're able to give confession, then they give them the Eucharist and they anoint the sick. Those seven sacraments or, or sacred practices are what's central to what it means to be Catholic. And it's really what's required to stay in God's good graces. And, and, and you see the, the tension here? You, you see the tension? I mean, Protestants and Catholics both affirm that faith comes first. Faith comes first. It is the number one thing that's necessary to be saved. But the question is, is faith enough? Is it faith plus nothing? Or faith plus, well, seven things at least to stay in God's good graces and make sure that you are caught in a state of grace when you die or you depart this world? Which is it? Faith plus seven or faith plus zero? You have to admit, whether again, whatever background you're from, the traditions, they honestly seem a little bit more realistic in light of the fact that nothing is free in this world. You've got to at least contribute something that everyone would go haywire. If you didn't have to like, keep the rules, then, then what would keep the world together? Faith alone? It can't be that easy. It's scandalous. Is it a combo of what God does and what we do or what God does alone? For the answer to this, I don't want to give you my interpretation. Again, I'll turn to our text because we are a Protestant church. That's the Word of God. It's the Holy Scriptures. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul hit this controversy head-on in an amazing way. At this moment, um, you've got to know this, Christianity was a fledgling movement. In Paul, he was once a Pharisee, so he was all about traditions. He kept the law in every respect, and he had become a follower of Jesus. This idea that, my gosh, for all my sin, I've been struck down in Christ has taken my sin, I have new life. He went to share this gospel with the Gentiles or the non-Jews in Galatia, it was a Roman province. And here's what he found. He found something that deeply disturbed him. Read with me Galatians 1, if you look at verse 6, he says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a what? A different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Let me just stop right there for a minute. Paul's basically like, I came back to you guys, and you're believing a different gospel. Some, some people are preaching, they're teaching that to be saved, the Galatians had to abide by certain Jewish laws and customs. They had to have faith, but they also had to do a number of other things. The first thing, the most important thing being, they needed to be circumcised. That was a Jewish tradition that dated back to the time of Moses, where they actually cut the foreskin of the penis off of the male. And as you might imagine, the Galatian men are, are like, this is not good news. You may call it the gospel, but that don't sound like good news to me. <laughs> In order to be saved, I got to do what? That was the tradition. And the teachers, were, they were actually called Judaizers. 
Because they wanted to turn the non-Jews into Jews. And they were saying, faith is not enough. You have to have more than just faith in Christ. You've got to do some rituals. Which calls, Paul howled in protest. He's like, wait a minute. That's a different gospel. Verse 7. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He was deeply concerned. He's like, we can't let anything get away of this. It is unlike any other world religion. The simple truth of the gospel, the good news, Jews, Gentiles, people who have no background in God, that faith in Christ alone is what saves you. Even Peter, the apostle Peter, who was by tradition the first pope, had lost his way. If you flip the page over, go ahead, look at chapter 2, and you'll see in verse 11, Paul talks about, I opposed Peter to his face. This was like the first church showdown ever. I love it. Because Peter was taking the side of the Judaizers. He's like, yeah, I think we should actually do all these other things. And Paul was like, that's hypocritical. If you say salvation comes from faith plus, you know, eating certain things, obeying the Old Testament law, that's like saying the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross wasn't enough to save you. They were literally sparring on the same points Catholics and Protestants diverge on today. Is faith through Christ alone? Or does it come through Christ plus sacred practices or sacraments? Now, before you shake your head and you go, oh, crazy Galatians, what are they doing? You know, the crazy Catholics, where do they get this stuff from? Just we need to acknowledge, it's not about your denomination. This is a natural human tendency. As I said at the beginning, it is hard for us to imagine anything in life is truly free, no strings attached. And salvation in the, you know, eternal life in heaven certainly seems like it can't be that easy. I mean, think about this. If somebody literally died for you, I don't even mean a spiritual way, just physical earth, someone literally gave up their life so that you could live, wouldn't you be inclined to do everything you could to pay them back? Who's seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Anyone see that? You remember the final scene, World War II epic, amazing movie. It's very moving. Tom Hanks literally gives his whole life up to rescue one man, Private Ryan, who is played by the beautiful Matt Damon. And at, let's, just, let's have a moment, women have go, ah... Uh, at the very end, an entire platoon is sacrificed Also, Private Ryan can live. And just before he dies, do you remember what Tom Hanks tells Private Ryan? Two words. Two words that I think a lot of Christians believe when it comes to salvation. Angels on our shoulders. What, sir?
earn this. I love that final image. He's standing before a cross, looking at it, wondering, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I earned this? Now, that's natural. In fact, it's a very poignant scene. His wife comes up in in the movie, and and he turns to her, and he says, tell me I've been a good man, as he looks at the cross. And in fact, that's how a lot of people feel when they come to church. They say, I hope I've been good enough. How good is good enough? And that impulse that we have inside, that this sacrifice is too great, I have to do something to earn this sacrifice. That's at the heart of this faith plus controversy here in Galatians. For the Jews, it was faith plus circumcision. For Catholics, it's faith plus the seven sacraments. Christ your Savior died, but you better pay him back. You better earn it. You better live in such a good way that it pleases God perfectly. And it, it, it may be natural to want to pay back that debt, but the problem is it's too much for any human to bear. And it, and it stirs up all this guilt. This weight leaves us just wondering, how good is good enough? I don't even know if I'm good enough to be here. Have I earned this thing? And it's impossible. See, the futility of our efforts to earn our salvation in a real way, it actually diminishes the cost of the real sacrifice. Paul writes this in verse 16. Look at what it says here. We know, he says, that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by what? By faith in Jesus Christ. So too we have put our what? Faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith. He's repeating something here. Get your attention. In Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Justified, by the way, fancy legal term. You see the word justice, and it just simply means you paid your debt. Justice was performed. In other words, you made things right with God, and, and you see this Here's how a man is justified. How has he made right with God? And three times, Paul gives the answer. By faith in Jesus Christ. We have put our faith in Christ Jesus. By faith in Christ. Three times he asks, how do you get made right? And three times he says, by faith. Not by observing the law. You can't pay it back. Stop your proud attitude. You can't be good enough. You can't live a perfect life. When 12 platoon members give their lives to save yours, you're going to pay that back? That's arrogance. You think what you do is going to earn God's approval? That's the official dogma that right now was declared by the Catholic Church at the Council of Trent. Again, I will quote directly from the Catechism of the Church. It says this, If anybody says that justice received is not increased before God through good works, let him be anathema. You know what anathema means? Cursed. Excommunicated. If you say that this is just about like comes out of like these are just little add-ons. No, this is critical. Good works are, are, they increase the justice. They increase your salvation. And Paul says, no chance. That's a different gospel. That's a gospel of works. And it ends up cheapening what Christ did. It actually denies the enormous cost he paid to meet the demands of God's justice completely and guarantee us life in heaven. It's all his doing. We contribute nothing to the equation. Any good works that we do, so where does that come from? Not guilty efforts to pay for our failures out of gratitude when we get what Jesus did. Why don't you think of it this way? Jesus did for us what I did for my daughter Chase in New York City last summer. Um, she turned seven, and I took her to the city for a Broadway birthday. Uh, we went out to dinner. Yeah, it was nice. We saw the Lion King. It was a lot, you know, it slept overnight. Daddy-daughter time was awesome. So we're in one of those junky little souvenir shops. You know what I'm talking about by Times Square? You know, statues of the Empire State Building with monkeys and that kind of stuff. You know, New York City license plates, all that junk. And there was this big sign above the Big Apple snow globes that said, do not touch. But my little girl's wanting 
was stronger than the warning. <laughs> and she touched, and it fell. And I heard it, and when I looked up, there's my little girl holding a snow globe of Manhattan with water pouring out on the floor. And standing next to her is one unhappy store manager. What have you done? And over both. <laughs> Do not touch. And it gets real quiet and real tense. It was this very heartwarming New York City moment. Because my daughter had no money, and he had no mercy. And so you know what I did? I did what dads do. I stepped in. I said, how much do we owe you? Now, how was it that I owed anything? Simple. She was my daughter. And since she couldn't pay, I stepped in and did. And the point is this. Since you and I can't pay for our brokenness, our sin, Christ did in full. Because we've broken so much more than crummy little snow globes, haven't we? I mean, we've broken commandments. We've broken promises. We've broken marriages. We have broken lives. In this congregation, we have broken commitments to God and, and, and others, to ourselves. It's just, and worst of all, Scripture says we've broken God's heart. And that's why Jesus came. Because he saw our situation. And out of mercy and affection, love, he saw the law shattered and sin spilling all over the floor. He stepped in and he said, I'll pay everything. What did we owe? We owe God a perfect life, perfect obedience to every command. Not just things like, like baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of this inner belief and commitment. But all the inner commands no one sees, humility, honesty, integrity, purity in every area. Can you do all those? I can't. No human can, but Christ did. And he, he, he did it on the cross. And, and the question is, do you believe that? Do you have faith in this? I understand this. I get it. You may be a good person. I want to allow that. You may pay your taxes and you kiss your kids and you never miss church. But apart from Christ, you aren't perfect. And the truth is this, the dirty, rotten truth, good people don't go to heaven. And God doesn't grade on a curve. So how do you get to heaven? By faith alone. You look at the cross and what Jesus did and you believe in your heart that he spilled his precious blood for your sin and you will be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's that easy. There was nothing easy about it. Listen to me. The cross was heavy and the blood was real and the price was enormous. And it would have crushed you or me to carry it ourselves. And Jesus carried it for us. He literally bore the weight of our sin. Everyone was pinned to his body on the cross. And he traded his life for ours. On the cross, he took on the wrath, the justice of God, and gave us eternal life. So you can call it simple. You can call it a gift. But don't you dare call it easy. You have to call the cross what it is. You need to call it grace. And you don't insult God by saying, maybe I can pay you back. Maybe I can earn it or add something to it. You look at the cross and you simply say, thank you. Thank you. I could never do that myself. Man, when grace broke through to me, I went to a Protestant church. My whole life, I don't know how I missed this. I was a junior in college. But I remember when I got that, I can't do anything to get God to like me more, and I can't do anything to, to make him love me less. It like melted my heart. That's what happens. And all of a sudden, your heart becomes circumcised to the word of God. It becomes sensitive. You get it. I'm accepted by God 
thank you, Jesus. It's all you're doing. There's nothing for you to do. <laughs> that's why in, in the first century, circumcision, diet rules, that's what Jews wanted to do to add on. That's why the sacraments, many believers in the 21st century, why it appeals to them, because it appeals to your flesh to do something. But there's nothing you can add. Nothing. It's faith in Christ alone. Do you believe that? I want to read God's word together here because this is powerful when it hits your heart. Paul said, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law. Let's read this together. But by faith in Jesus Christ together. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Every believer, Protestant, Catholic, doesn't matter. You have to trust in Christ alone, not Christ also. You know why? You know why, by the way? Because the fatal flaw of man-made religion is that it leads you to one of two places. It leads you to either pride, look at me, what I'm doing, or despair. I can't do any of this. That's why I'm here. My life's broken. That's where it leads you. That's why people are leaving churches in droves. Because the Pharisees were full of pride. They're like, look at us. We're not only doing this, we're doing this thing. Holy smokes, we're amazing, man. And, and religion was this checklist and the arrogance and the self-righteousness and no one wants to be a part of it. Pride. For others, faith plus works, it leads to despair. Because if, look, if you're a sinner, <laughs> if you're honest for a moment, and your life is so broken, you don't need any convincing there, and you say, what must I do to be saved? And you walk in church, and they hand you a list of Ten Commandments, and you're like, you look at the Ten Commandments, and you're like, yep, broke every one of those, sure enough, thanks. And then you get a second list, and there are a few other things we need you to do. Any sinner who is honest about the broken condition of your life will admit, I can't do all that. That's why I'm here at church. I can't do this anymore. I need someone stronger, bigger, more faithful than me. That's who Jesus is. Do you get this? He does it all for us. And once we believe, he says, I'm going to put your, my spirit in you. Because it's not going to be about pushing the boulder up the hill. I'm going to do it supernaturally. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to give you power, and you're going to live for me. And people are going to look at you and say, what happened to him? It's who happened to him. Christ in him. Look at verse 20. Paul writes, listen to this. I love this. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but what? But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all about Jesus. What he did for us, not what we do for him. And if you get that, this is the amazing thing, if you get faith, if you get grace, it works your way, man. It just shattered my religious pride because I was a Pharisee, Protestant Pharisee. You won't be proud and you won't despair when you fall. You know what you will feel? Gratitude. You will actually feel joy. Jesus did everything for me. I have nothing to claim. I'm, I'm, you actually have humility. And people are like, why is he like that? Why is she like that? Because you stand in front of the cross, as Ryan did, and he said, he did this for me. He gave himself for me. He loved me. Thank you, Jesus. And then guess what happens? This is the irony the good works start flowing out of your gratitude, not out of your guilt. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be something? To come to church without feeling guilty. To really live like you believe God loves and accepts you completely. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see Chris, he doesn't see Paul, he sees his son Jesus. 
He's not looking down at you thinking like, oh man, she didn't really quite measure up. Imagine actually wanting to draw close to God because you got no fear. You got no fear that there's any punishment left for falling short. You're not constantly asking, well, I hope I, I, hope I did enough. It's called the assurance of salvation. You don't have a purgatory waiting for you where you have to pay off or be punished for all the stuff you did in this life that never was quite balanced out by the penance that you did. We're going to get into purgatory next week. The question is, what do you believe in here? Not up here. What do you believe in here? Is salvation by faith alone? Have you put your trust in Christ? The good news is this. Many Catholics have. There is a great diversity among Catholics. You need to know this. Not everyone adheres to uh, the Council of Trent or views the sacraments the same way. I have actually been very humbled this week, just overjoyed, uh, talking with a few Catholic brothers and sisters to find that many share a very simple saving faith in Jesus Christ. Grace is not the exclusive domain of the Protestant church nor of the Catholic one. Grace comes through Christ alone. And in his interview, Father Ricardo, he was asked exactly what he believed about the relationship between faith and works. And his answer, I think, is stunning, and it's a model for every believer. Listen to this. Just so we're absolutely clear, let me ask you this question, then you just you answer it however you want. The misconception is you can work your way to have heaven. The whole issue of grace through faith in Jesus. Do Catholics believe you can work your way to heaven? No. That was the whole gist of this letter this woman got, who was trying to, who was, who was coming into the church, and someone was trying to, you know, don't you understand what you're doing? You're going to go into this whole works place that they're going to save themselves. I can't save myself. I'm saved by Jesus' precious blood, period, end of story. But I have to respond to it. So we would both say, without a whole lot of having to hash this out, that we're saved by grace alone. You would also say you're saved by faith alone, I would presume. And I would tell you, we can say that too, that we're saved by faith alone, so long as we understand what we're talking about by faith. And this is, so faith in the kind of the secular vernacular looks like, um, yeah, I agree that two and two is four. It's just this adhering mentally to a proposition. But that's not faith. You know that. I know that. That's just intellectually assenting to a truth. Faith is clinging to Christ. Yeah. That's faith. Hanging, huh? on. Hanging on to him. A response. Ah, it's a verb. So it's an action. Yeah. Did that save me? No. I mean, not in the sense of it wasn't my work. It was his work on the cross. Huh? So it's his action on the cross which saves me, which I have to respond to. Now, if he doesn't do it, I got nothing to respond to. So I'm saved by his work alone, period. But I have to cooperate with that. I've got to welcome into my life, and I've got to do it every day. Just like you and I were talking about yeah. with prayer, that it can get rote. I think that's a great perspective. I think that's one of the things that, that Protestants need to, to, to see and understand, that the response, you're not responding to try to earn favor. You're responding out of the goodness of God, right? Absolutely. I, I love um, Saving Private Ryan. It's one of my favorite movies. I think it's a, the ending of it, I think, is this extraordinary scene for Christianity where this man is standing at the front of a grave, a, a headstone, which is a cross, huh? who saved his life. He's there in the beaches of Normandy. Mm. And he has a flashback. This whole movie is a flashback where he's recalling how his life was saved. And the very last scene before it fades out is the man who saved his life grabbing him and whispering in his ear, earn this. And then it fades out and there he is standing in front of the cross. Mm. 
And it's a great scene. The difference, obviously, is Jesus doesn't say to you and me, earn this. He says, respond to this. You've got to accept this. You've got to receive this. You've got to make your whole life, not an hour once a week or Wednesday night and Sunday morning, your whole life a response to what I've done for you on the cross. Someone else is a fan of Private Ryan. <laughs> you don't have to earn this, he said, but you do have to respond. That's amazing to hear coming from the lips of a Catholic priest, especially since it's actually in a bit of contradiction with the official you know, dogma we looked at earlier. But there is, there is no doubt in my mind that Father Ricardo is a brother in Christ, that he has a, a vibrant relationship with Jesus. You can see that. And, and I show you this to say you can't broad brush all Catholics as embracing a workspace gospel. Just as all Protestants don't believe in salvation through faith alone, you don't judge other people by what team they play for. Some of you are sitting here today, and you've been coming to an evangelical church for years, and you still don't believe. You still don't believe it can be this easy. Don't call it easy. As Protestants, I think we can learn what the Father said, that if you grasp the depths of Christ's sacrifice for you, you're the one pounding the nails in his hands. And even if the nails hadn't kept him there, his love for you would have kept him on that cross. If you let that melt your heart, you will respond. You will take action, because faith is a verb. The cross doesn't permit this mere intellectual assent like, yeah, I think I believe Jesus was the Son of God. That's not it. It's a full heart response. That's why James says, faith without deeds is dead. Because doing good works is the outward evidence of what we really believe in here already. If Christ gave everything to save me, then I give everything to serve him. I hold nothing back. I serve others. You get this, folks? We don't do good works to get saved. We do good works because we are saved. That's a great challenge for all of us. Likewise, I think Catholics can learn something very simple from evangelicals, and that is the power of the gospel without strings, sola fide. Salvation through faith alone. When, when, you, when you have that moment when your heart gets circumcised, it gets cut like mine did when I was a junior in college, I can't do anything. Everything I've been trying and beating myself up, man, does that take the pressure off. <laughs> And all of a sudden, coming to church is a joy, not a dread. <laughs> and you begin actually worshiping. You, want, you sit there sometimes wondering, like, why are those people in the first few rows raising their hands and going like this? <laughs> because they're here out of gratitude. Thank you, thank Not guilt. Every time we're together, we're reminded it's all about Jesus. What he did, not what we've done. And that makes all the difference from now to eternity. Paul sums it all up if you look at verse 21. This is the final verse. Look at it. He says this. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for what? Christ died for nothing. I hope you will leave here today, Catholic or Protestant, wherever you're at, reveling in this, this good news that in Christ you are fully accepted by God now and forever. That's why it's called amazing grace. And good deeds will flow out of your love and your gratitude for that. Amen? Listen, before we pray, um, I just want to make this very clear. It, it really doesn't matter. If you're a Catholic or you're Protestant or you're not sure what you believe, you can, you can be saved by Christ today. You can leave today. You walk out today 100% assurance that my sins have been forgiven and I know where I'm going. You're going to heaven. If, you, if you've ever wondered how good is good enough, you can leave knowing where you're going. How, how, how? Did you miss this? You're missing the chart. Simple faith. You respond to God. You actually say, I believe this. I'm taking you at your word. I'm receiving you as a free gift because my life is broken. 
That's what I want to give you a chance to do. So let's bow our heads. Everyone together, wherever you're at, uh, let's just pray. Father, I want to clear a moment now for people to have a holy moment with you. Um, God, whatever background they're from, we just respond to you right now. Let's just offer up some prayers out of our hearts, silent to God, just of gratitude for Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Father, thank you for what you did for me, God. Thank you so much. God, I'm praying right now, Father, that there are, there's a, just even a, a couple men and women tonight who would put their faith in your son, Jesus. Lord, this is a moment of decision for them. Wherever they are, they want to put at rest that question, will I go to heaven? If you wanted to keep your, your head bowed, if you want a prayer, uh, you know, a simple prayer of faith, you can pray right now to God along with me. Nothing fancy. Just keep it simple. You can pray these words after me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. I turn from my sin, and through faith I believe. I believe your sacrifice paid for every one of them. And Lord, I receive your forgiveness as a gift. Simply tell God, come into my life and live in me. I'm completely yours today. That's a prayer of saving faith right there. If that's your prayer today, um, just keep our heads bowed. If you're just kind of stepping over the line of salvation, you say, no, I've heard this before, but today I'm making this real. Would you just shoot up your hand so I can see it? Because this is your moment. You said, you know what, this is that moment. Praise God for you. Three people in the back. Praise God for you, man. Praise God for you. Anyone else? This is your moment where you said, you know what, this, I'm leaving here with certainty in my heart. I know it today. Father God, I thank you so much for the people who have made, you know their heart. You look into our heart, and with your Holy Spirit, I'd ask that you would confirm them as a son of God, as a daughter of God. We thank you so much for Jesus. He is our reason for living, and now we ask him to be our life. And we ask that in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said together, amen.